This is Urban Tiger Radio, a project supported by CybermouseMultimedia.com, sponsors of our free weekly podcasts. Search for Urban Tiger Radio in the iTunes Store or on Stitcher.com and hit the subscribe button to receive free automatic downloads. Please remember to share and rate our show before you leave. Cinema, which is one of my old haunts, and I'm pleased to say that physically the building still represents my memories. Uh, it still has its balcony, and, and it's still in one piece. But someone's painted it an awful shade of sort of turquoise blue, <laughs> the sort of thing you would expect in your weirdest nightmare, anyway. But it's good for me to be back in here, so. You, Catherine Butcher, Yes. Uh, would you like to tell me what you're doing here? Okay, so the aim of my project, I am a student at the University of Sheffield and I've come in as part of a work placement. We are hoping to interview people from the surrounding area about their experiences at the Abbeydale between you know, when it was opened in 1920 and when it's shut in 1975. Although it's likely that a lot of the people that are visiting probably came in you know, the 40s, 50s, 60s. It's building on sort of heritage efforts that have been made in the past. People have been looking at the Abbeydale as a kind of historical building for the last 30 years or so, I believe. Um, So my project is not new, but it is a new opportunity to talk to people about the building and what they might remember in it. So don't you find this rather strange then? Because at the moment, it's you that's being interviewed and and not me. So, okay, well, now we've turned the genre on its head. Mm. What would you like to ask me if you were interviewing me? I think my first question, which I usually ask people, is when did you first start visiting the Abbeydale? And things go from there. Somewhere in the region of about 63 years ago. Okay. Okay. So I I guess you could say I've been coming here for a week or two. Mm. I remember being carried up Abbeydale Road on the shoulders right. of my father, who at that time used to wear a trilby hat, so I yeah. used to keep taking his hat off and put it on my own head, mm. and he used to take it off mine and put it back on his when it was raining. <laughs> so, uh, so so, that's when I first began to mm. use the cinema. I think yeah. I was probably at about three, four years old. I, I could yeah. probably sit still long enough through a film yeah. without screaming, fidgeting, crying, yeah. or stamping my feet. Yeah. So, I think a lot of the people that... I've heard from they tend to be about nine or ten and they're a bit older and they have had a bit more independence and then they end up visiting like the sarsaparilla bar for example I think you're probably the youngest person that I've heard of like youngest when you first started visiting um, which is quite interesting I remember the sarsaparilla yeah. bar yeah well uh, yeah pints of sarsaparilla yeah yeah we used to we used to leave the cinema when I was about uh, anywhere between being about oh, I don't know 12 and 17 mm. When we left the cinema, we used to go in there and have a couple of pints of sarsaparilla and yes. think we were in a pub. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was very much like a pub, actually. Just, mm. just you know, these pop-up pubs that are appearing. Yeah. I mean, it, it had uh, brewery tap handles and everything. It yeah. was uh, just like a pub. And the sarsaparilla was 
Actually, I think if they sold it in my local, I'd probably drink that mm. instead of the mm. rubbish they sell there. But there you yeah. go. But actually, it it was part of the experience. That, yes, that's something that, that comes up thing. a lot as well. As as was the shop on the corner. Yeah, the sweet shop. The sweet shop. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Because I always used to get a packet of butter kiss there. Mm. And the sweet shop was part of the experience. Mm. Sarsaparilla bar on the way out. Yeah. It was more than just a cinema, in Definitely. a way. It was more than just a cinema. What I was going to add just then is that it was sort of nine or ten year olds, or maybe a bit older actually, but, you know, allowing themselves to feel very mature by, you know, going off to the Sarsaparilla bar. And it was like they were sort of acting out what their sort of older relatives might do. You know, you go to the cinema and then you go and have your drink afterwards. And it was all very much a routine. Which is yeah, I, I agree. But I think that's about when I learned that if you go to the Sarsaparilla bar first, you missed half the film mm. by going to the toilet. Right. So you went, <laughs> went after you until you got yeah. out and yeah. went after. I, I get goosebumps in here. Yeah. Not just because you haven't got any heating. No, <laughs> which no. Which is perfectly <laughs> true. Yes. And, and like I said to you earlier, I have sat in here with a blanket wrapped around me and a hot yeah. water bottle yeah. provided by the previous incumbents who mm, were mm. trying to renovate the cinema. I yeah. hope you have a lot more success. Yes, but, I think I think CADS really hopes that they, they will as well because they're, they're very committed to the project. Now they've, they've got the 25-year lease and yeah. they're, they're going to do it in the future. CADS um, have been around a long time now, haven't they? In Sheffield, mostly down Shales Moor, all okay. the old factory buildings yeah. down there yeah. that I've been in. I've been down there in your offices. I've been down to see mm. the bands down there mm. on the Tramlines Festival. And they seem to organise quite a lot with, with very little, yes. which is yeah. useful. Yeah, um, But that's how Sheffield used to be, you know. <laughs> we used to do a lot with yeah. very little. That's what I'm learning, really, is I'm, I'm learning about kind of, you know, ordinary life in Sheffield from that period. From that era. An yeah. interview I had the other week, you know, natural conversation usually ends up digressing a little bit. And the man was just telling me about his life and, and saying kind of what he would do and, and how he would end up going off and listening to folk records and stuff like that in the city centre. And it, it wasn't just about the Abbeydale. It was about, you know, what it was like to be an adolescent during that period. So Yeah, I, it, yeah. Was, it was strange for me uh, in relation to the cinema too, because the guy who was... Uh, the floor manager in here mm. in my early teens, shall we say, uh, a guy called Frank. Right. He he knew how old I was, mm. and he knew that out of the four of us that used to come in here twice a week, yeah. that I was the oldest. Okay. I was also the smallest and the youngest looking. Oh. <laughs> so when they got when they got a mm. film on where you had to be sixteen or mm. or older to be in, mm. he used to turn me away but let the others in. Yes. And and there was a, a great irony in that, and I, it made me extremely angry. I can yeah. the, the sense of injustice yeah, you must have felt. Yeah, <laughs> Let me so, in, yeah. But, and I said to him, "Why, Frank? You know I'm older than these." He said, mm. "Yes, but when the police come in, yeah. which they used to do on a regular basis, wow. strangely enough, yeah. no, it, it surprises a lot of people, but it's yes. true. When the police come in, he said, you're the one they'll hoist mm. and take out, mm. whether you're old enough or not.' Yeah." And I, I used to find that thing quite embarrassing because I, I ended up carrying around my birth certificate. Right. Because when I was 18, I couldn't get into a 16. No. If you've taken a girl out for the night mm. and you get stopped at the cash desk and the woman says, you're not old enough to come in here. Yes. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, you have then to get your birth certificate out and yeah. prove it. I've been thrown out of pubs when I was 18 yeah. by the police. Yeah. But the police did used to come in here and... 
there used to be two of them. It used to be the sergeant and the mm. trainee, probably. And they'd come in and they'd walk, they'd start at the back and they'd walk one Wonder. down either side, down to the front. And then they'd walk about at the front, looking at the faces of the, <laughs> of the crowd. Did they have a torch yeah. or...? Well, and then they'd come back up the side and if they spotted anybody that they thought mm. was or looked underage, they'd shine the torch on you and say... Y you. You, you, yeah, over here. <laughs> come on, you, out. Yeah. You know, but I've, I've been hoisted out of here a couple of All times. Right. And um, what what would you do after that? Would you sort of take yourself off down to the, the sarsaparilla bar? Sarsaparilla bar, basically. You would just sort of go yeah. home, tail between your legs kind <laughs> yeah. of thing. Yeah, well, there's yeah. Not, not a lot else you could no. do. Because, you know, un until I started to carry proof around of, of my mm. age, that, mm. that was the sort of thing that used to happen. I wish it happened now. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but unfortunately, at, at my advanced years, it seems to work the other way. Anyway, Catherine, so you, you're here at the Abbeydale Cinema. Tell me yes. something about what you're doing. I'm trying to interview people that come in and just asking them questions about what they remember about the building, what they remember about how it looked, yeah. what they remember about so, the staff. But, but what do you intend to do with this information? I think that we will basically just kind of keep it on record for future, you know, historical value. There's also the likely chance that I will take the transcript which I've recorded of the interviews and then once that's been done I'll eventually transcribe them they'll probably end up in like the Sheffield local history archives yeah. as well to contribute to the information that's already mm. there um, because I've had a look myself and there is quite a lot of information which has just been collected by other people in the past we don't have a sort of plan to you know, um, use it in a really obvious way, but it's just about preserving the history of the building the best yeah. that we can, yeah. basically. But on a more personal level, yeah. what do you intend with this information? I mean, I can see that you would want to archive it, yeah. and so it's there for anyone who wants to look in the future, mm. researching social yeah. history, that's fine, absolutely fine. Now, for you to do this, you yeah. must have got some kind of, I hesitate to say passion for it, yeah. but maybe you have. Maybe you've got a passion for old theatre or old I... cinemas or talking to old <laughs> blokes like <laughs> me. I, I hope it's the talking to old blokes like me, but yeah. I don't suspect it is. So well, what, what's your real interest? We were given the option of different placements we could choose, and this one jumped out at me because I very much enjoy kind of cultural history. And I like learning about people and their lives. So to sort of couple both of those things together was, was quite an exciting opportunity for me. So it's really the chance to... I, I always think... I'm currently doing modern history as my master's, but I always veer towards modules that have some kind of either culture, media, how people behave, like a sociological element to it almost. Um, so this this project at the Abbeydale where you're you know asking people about how they behaved in their ordinary lives and, and what the cinema looked like and what films they saw that is all very interesting to me it's very kind of rich history so that's the that's the reason why I'm kind of so interested in it in the okay, way I am. so when you're not interviewing people yeah. like me what are you doing down here what do you find to occupy your time well a lot of my time has been spent kind of trying to find people to interview the project, I've been doing it since about January and it kind of, it gradually picked up momentum. One of the things that I'm probably most proud of is we managed to get an article published in the Sheffield Telegraph a couple of weeks ago. Um, so I sort of wrote that and that was like calling for more people as well. But that is primarily what I'm doing here is that I'm trying to uh, find out about what people remember. You know, CADS has its own sort of goals with the building very long term, but my aims here are much more short term in 
trying to get people to interview pretty much. How long a term project is it this that you're doing? How long do you think you'll be here on this placement? I reckon until about kind of May or June time probably. But we are, well, I'm hoping and I think that people at CADS are hoping as well that other people will take on the mantle for this eventually. You know, what I've learned is that it has been um, not challenging but you know you do have to work quite hard to find people to speak to and it's a slow process so there's probably more people out there that might be able to be interviewed which other future kind of you know people like me maybe doing a work placement or just generally interested volunteers can maybe kind of take the mantle on and go ahead with it in the future well the only thing i've got to say to that is that you better hurry up yeah <laughs> because my generation is is aging now and the generation yeah. that visited the abidel cinema from maybe immediately pre-war they're dying out now yes and you know i'm coming of an age where yeah maybe i won't yeah. even be able to sit here and remember what we're talking <laughs> about so I, I think you need to get your skates on true but just take me back a little bit. Mm. Now, CADS, I mean, I, I've been involved with this cinema before and, yes. I, and I've performed on the stage here, which is actually a little tale attached to that. And the tale okay. is <laughs> that when I was a kid, I came in here and we, with my parents, and we were watching Flubber, I think it was, right. the Walt Disney film about this bouncing rubber that yes, just kept, you know, that floated. Yeah, floating rubber, it was mm. Flubber. And... Uh, Basically, what happened was that the film broke mm. and it melted and you could see it, but it stopped and there was this big hole appeared on the screen. Yeah. After about five minutes, nothing got done, you know, and everybody started stamping their feet and yeah. shouting. And I, and I thought, actually, I thought it was a bit uncouth because things are broken. You can't mm. always help that. And you just try and fix it. Yeah. And what you don't really need is somebody stamping their feet while you're trying <laughs> no, to do it. Uh, even at that age, mm. I couldn't, couldn't have been much more than about five or six. Mm. And even at that age, and the manager came out, and it wasn't Frank, it was it was it must have been the house manager, not the floor right. manager. And uh, he came out with a dicky bow on and a suit, and he, he said, yeah. um, I'm really sorry this has happened, and you know we're doing our best to fix it, and, mm. but I can't promise, and mm. if you want your money back, then, you know. Uh, and I saw this guy up there on that stage and I, and I in front of the screen you know yeah. the screen was white behind mm. him so mm. it, was, it was really outlined and I thought I'd love to get on that stage and actually oh, do no. something <laughs> yeah. yeah well uh, as it was it took me 60 years to do that oh small gap then yeah it's just a small gap I, I actually I got close to it a couple yeah. of years before that because we did a a Burns night in the bar right beneath yeah with a Scotsman wearing a kilt and a mm. catheter bag, would you believe? Uh, <laughs> beggars belief when you stop and think about it. But, but that happened. And then a few years later, we, we put a gig on up here. There was myself, Ronnie Robinson from Radio Sheffield, mm. Brian Doran, Sally Goldsmith. Mm. And we read poetry and, uh, and performed yeah. and told tales and stories mm. and on, the, on the stage here. It wasn't quite as grand as it was when... Uh, when no. I used to come here as a kid, but at least I achieved my ambition. That, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. I, that was another one off the bucket list. Yes. So, CADS. Mm. I know of CADS because I know someone who works for CADS. Yeah. And what does it stand for? Creative Arts Development Sheffield. And, and what's CADS' interest in this place? Basically, they're trying, you know, make the building a place where people can just come in and very easily sort of access it and use it for entertainment events. 
they, they want to make it somewhere that people want to come. And they've already run quite a few events, um, not my kind of side of things at all, but they've done films like anime films, um, very sort of diverse showings and, and mm. things like that, which people want to come and see really and i mean there's even art exhibition going on in the next few weeks at the moment which they're quite excited about i think yeah i've attended uh, silent film screenings yes. here with live pianist yeah um, I, and, i've uh, heard that's dracula amazing. dracula was one that was played here which yes, i'm sure was I, very I, interesting to yeah, see i came to see mm. uh no nosferatu the oh, vampire yeah that was the one that's the one <laughs> <laughs> similar yeah. but not quite yeah yeah I, I yeah I came to see that one. That was mm-hmm. uh, I mean the film now. I mean it was terrifying in its day I suppose, yeah. but it's quite corny now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but taste change and, uh, and and modes change. So cards are going to attempt to develop this in a sort of a modular fashion so that people can access all or part of it. Or do you think? Yes, I think that the aim is to in the very long term, is to make the building look how it probably would have looked back in 1920, I think, or maybe 1950. You know, they, they want it to um, to sort of look and, and act as a place where people can come and visit and have it as a cinema, but also to do some other events as well. What other events do you envisage? Or do you think you, they might have bands on? Um, hard for me to say, really. I'm not kind of involved okay. with the events side too much, yeah. but um, I think they might have had music here before, but I'm yeah, not 100% sure. I know sure. they have yes. had it occasionally. Yeah. There have also been flea markets in here, but I can mm. see that since the introduction of the seats... Probably more difficult, yes. It, it would be much yeah. more difficult yeah. now. So it's done outside yeah. in the car park, is it? Oh, right. Yeah. Um, what maybe, was the last yeah. time I saw yeah. it, anyway? I mean, this this bar area that we're sat in it was, it was never here. It's actually very sympathetic to yes. the cinema. Yeah. And I, and I saw them building this, and it felt really strange because mm. there was a maybe about a yard and a half of flat between the doors yeah. and, and, and a partition similar to this, but yeah. curved all the way around the back. And from there on, it all sloped down mm. to the front. And it, it was it's a reasonable slope. Yeah. And to see it leveled off like this and a step put in, actually... Seemed much more logical. Yeah. And if only in the 1950s or, well, 60s, if they'd have done that then and introduced Mm. a proper bar into it and had a smaller auditorium, I think Mm. it actually might have worked. Mm. Because one of the things you couldn't do at that time was have a pint and watch the television. Now, there were bottled beers, Mm. but I'm trying to think of the name of the company that used to deliver beer around the, the houses. And I can't remember it mm. now. But that usually was the only way to get alcohol. a decent pint yeah, of beer yeah. in the house. And people didn't drink much alcohol in the house. Mm. If they could have combined the cinema and the pub, then, I, I think that might have been a good, a good yeah. move. And I think that yeah. might have kept the cinema maybe another 20 years. Mm. I think something that's come up is that you would go to the cinema up to a certain age kind of 15 16 and then more as more of a kind of adolescent and you would you know drink the sarsaparilla but then young adulthood would take over and then people would start going to pubs or they would start you know going out with girlfriends or things that weren't necessarily related to the cinema because it's like they'd kind of you know moved on from it so maybe you're right that you know having kind of alcohol and the cinema in the same building might have 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 done something but people got to a point where they didn't 
you know, they wanted to go out and, and drink or yeah. engage in those other types of social life that were out there in the city kind of thing. Yeah, but one thing that you need to keep in mind is that the back row of the cinema mm. has always had a name yeah. uh, uh, and it was reserved normally for courting couples on the back row. It was mm. always the darkest row. Right. And, <laughs> you know, and it was the furthest away from the screen, so the light reflected from the screen didn't sort of bounce back and hit mm. you. you were, it's quite hidden, mm. especially in the Abbeydale because it was quite away from the screen. Yes, yeah. And people in those times didn't have anywhere to go. Mm. Now, I know lots of people in their late teens, very early 20s, who have their own flats. Mm. Uh, there are a lot of students in Sheffield. They've all got rooms somewhere they can go with a girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever. Yeah. We had none of that. No. Absolutely none of that. Mm. We all lived at home. Yeah. The only way to move out of home was to get married. So mm. basically, we all lived at home. There was always someone in at home. You never, ever got the house no. yourself. <laughs> yeah. And so the cinema was somewhere you could go and actually be reasonably intimate. Yeah, yeah. In a way that you couldn't be anywhere mm. else other mm. than a street corner. <laughs> uh, and I've done my share of street corners in winter, <laughs> stood underneath a gas lamp. Yeah, yeah. And the cinema was, uh, cinema was a lot more fun than that, I yeah. assure you. all right. Yeah. Uh, I'm always a bit reluctant to ask too many questions along that vein because you don't oh, want to offend no, people. No, I, yeah, um, I don't care. No. So you're okay, you've got a live on here because I don't give a monkey. Oh, right, yeah. So, so there was quite a lot of that went off. I mean, mm. we, I know I talked to Sam about this. Mm. You, you've read Sam's thesis, yeah. haven't you? And I talked to Sam about this. But there's an area down there where I pointed out to you earlier where there were double seats. Yeah. And we always used to go and sit down in that area. Mm. And there was a collection of girls that used to come out yeah. We were all four lads all together. These four girls always came out yeah. together and we sort of swapped and changed and, you know, mm. and had some mm. fun. And I remember one day, one of them, well, actually, women don't go into the toilet in ones. <laughs> right? And no. when this, this crew used to go to the toilet, it used to be all four of them used yeah. to go. And then they'd come back giggling. Probably discussing, you <laughs> probably discussing you or something. Probably discussing you. Well, probably, or, yeah, but yeah. they'd come back giggling. Um one of them sat down in front of my friend, and yeah. you could smoke in the cinema mm. then, and we used to smoke. It was also a good place. If you were underage smoke, it was also a good place to come. Right. Because the floor manager didn't mind. Mm. So she'd just come back, and she'd just lacquered her hair. Mm. And in those days, the lacquer was shellac. I've heard of that, yeah. Which was made from insects, crushed mm. beetle wings. And it was like a varnish, like a very, very thin varnish, like yeah. furniture varnish. And and the carrier was methylated spirits, mm. in, you know. And she'd just sprayed her hair with this. And we, the chemist sat back down in front mm. of us. And he lit a match and leaned forward to light his cigarette and her hair went up. Right. <laughs> there was this huge purple flash. And she was surrounded <laughs> yeah. like, a, like a dandelion clock yeah. in, with, with blue flame. And then it went out, mm. but that's when the screaming started. Yes. And they all started yeah. screaming. Mm. And Frank came down the side there mm. remarkably quickly for a big man and threw us all out. Mm. Mm. But it was just a pure accident. Nobody, yeah. you know, nobody, yeah. nobody really got hurt. Nobody did it on purpose. No. But you couldn't convince Frank. <laughs> Once he got a bee in his bonnet, that was yeah. it. You were out. And one of my sort of relations by marriage used to be a, an usherette here. That's that's another thing is, um, you know, what one of the things that was said to me is, is try and find out as much as you can about the staff because the people that were in the building kind of 
you know day in day out kind of thing they're often a bit unknown um so it's always interesting to know more about people who are here i've heard quite a lot about one guy called harold who i think was on the door um, and apparently would wear a sort of long coat with buttons down oh, the front. Oh, yeah, I've got a poem and, about Harold. Oh, have you? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, must know him as well then. And almost like a kind of Russian Cossack hat, I think, was the description. No, it, it, it was almost yeah. a military. It was a military yes. hat. It was yeah. in green. Yeah. Right? And his long coat was in green. Right. Do you remember an actor called Bernard Breslau? He used to be in all the carry-on films. I know the carry-on films, but... He was a tall, but... hulking bloke mm. who moved sort of quite ponderously mm, and no. didn't look particularly intelligent well the frank mm. that was the floor manager in here was like that yeah but the other guy on the steps outside he was he was good he used to stand with his hands behind his back and just yes. keep raising himself up on his toes yeah and he was only tiny <laughs> right and he got this yeah. really long coat on he was mm. shorter than mm. me and and quite thin mm. and really long coat with epaulettes Brass yeah, buttons. that's the one. Yes, yeah, and a and a hat, green hat. And it had a little red band round the mm. round the front there. He was okay. My dad knew him. Okay, and I'll yeah. I'll give you the poem later. Okay. Yes. And in fact, I'll tell you what. I'll read it you now, right. and then you can uh, you can make your own mind upon it. <laughs> this is a a poem called "Talking to Noah," and in the poem. The guy that we were just talking about, I called him Charlie because, to be honest, I thought that's what his name was. Mm. If it was Harold, well, fair enough. It's a long time ago and my grey matter is not getting any better for keeping. So this is Talking to Noah. Yeah, we were queuing up to get in to see uh, a John Huston film. I thought it was a Ten Commandments, but it was the one about Noah. Anyway, so this is Talking to Noah. Trying hard not to open me butter kissed. I peeked out through slit in my dad's poacher's pocket and listened. Evening, Charlie. Aye, Ted. That was me dad, Ted. Rain again? Aye. And all last week? Aye, and next, I suppose. From under the coat, my dad's voice rumbled like thunder in his stomach. It was like listening to God talking to Noah. Charlie touched the brim of his green felt hat, flicked the gold bits on his shoulders and stand up on step like soldiers on poppy day, putting flowers out for pigeons in Barker's pool. Then he'd look at me mam's legs. He were only short, but so were me mam. But she wore these tall heels that did funny things to her legs. It made Charlie smile every time he looked at them. Good picture, Charlie, my dad says. I never see them all the way through, Ted. Never? Aye, never. On it middle bits. What if they're not working, Charlie? Charlie laughed. Does that go to work on the day off, Ted? I couldn't reckon that. If I were big enough to go to work, I'd want to be there all the time. And my butter kiss was stuck together, so I bashed it on my dad's knee. Good crowd, he said. Charlie smiled. Aye, but they won't all get in. He walked up and down, edge at queue, tapping ankles with his foot, trimming us away from coursey edge, then came back. How were I did? My dad knew commissionaire. I didn't know how to handle that. We moved forward, and I could hear him counting under his breath. Then his arm had swung down, and suddenly everybody said, Hey, I were with her. I, he's with me. I'm not going in without her. And he'd part him like Moses at the Red Sea. 
and carry on counting. Then he'd let them go, chuntering and shuffling, not daring to look back, and he'd still mm. be counting. And me stood on tops of me dad's best mm. shoes, trying to save some buttercus for inside. And his arm had swung down again behind us, and he'd wink at me because my dad knew commissionaire. And my mum had nice legs. Yeah. So that was talking to Noah. Yeah, it was very interesting. I think. And it, I, I hope that evokes something of what it was like to stand outside here. Yeah. It, Usually in the rain. It does. <laughs> um, I think probably queuing up is something that people remember quite a lot as well because, yeah. you know, it was so, so busy. But I, I liked it. I liked how you sort of, you captured the kind of the child's perspective kind of thing. Yeah. There was, there was something we knew about queuing up and, mm. and you could see it in action every time there was a good film on. What used to happen was people would queue from the doorway all the way along the frontage on, on Abbeydale mm. Road and then round the corner down Beedale Road. Yeah. There was a sweet shop on the corner, which we've spoken about. And if you, the, the sweet shop had a side window as well as a front window. And if you were at the end of the side window, yeah. you would just about scrape in. Right, that was the benchmark. If you walked up yeah. and you saw mm. there, were, there were people beyond that window, mm. you went to find another cinema. <laughs> yes. Because you knew you weren't going to get yeah. in. Uh, there were plenty of cinemas. Actually, within walking distance of here, there was the Healy Palace. Mm. And not all the time, not all the shows had the same timing. So sometimes you could actually go that. from one to yeah. the other. Sometimes shows just ran on, and and were two showings of the same film, yeah. so that you could actually get in late and mm. then stay over and watch the first bit that you'd missed. Yeah. So we did that a lot, actually. Yeah. That that was yeah. quite prevalent. Yeah, there were lots of cinemas within range of here that mm. you could walk to, mm. yeah. because everybody was walking back then, yes. just about. But so that's just a little bit of what it was like to queue outside here. Yeah, yeah. Anything else you would like to know? Um, another question I like to ask is, well, what was what's your favourite film you saw at the Abbeydale? My favourite film I saw here. Yes. I saw. I'm pretty sure I saw Ben Hur. Right here. Yeah. That was good. That was an amazing film. Ten Commandments is one that I remember mm. actually more than more than most. Mm. But when you say a favourite film, it's, it's really difficult because from the age of about, I don't know, 14 to 17, there were two shows a week at least here mm. and a different one on a Sunday. If it was a major film, that would be on during the week, right? the whole week. Yeah. And we used to come here Wednesdays when the, the film changed, changed. Yeah. and Saturday. So we saw a lot of films, a lot of films. Lot mm. of films. Difficult to pick a favourite. Mm. Uh, I would have to go back to just generally a favourite film. Yeah. Tell you what I did see here, and I thought was absolutely wonderful, and in fact I still watch it occasionally, I've got it on DVD, mm. and that's Moby Dick. Right. I saw yeah. that here. Mm. That was fascinating. Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, yeah, okay, if I have to pick okay. a favourite, I'll, I'll go Moby Dick. Yes. And that yeah. was an incredible and still is an incredible film. Mm. Written, actually, the screenplay was written by my favourite author, Ray Bradbury. Right. And um. when he was working with Ray Harryhausen in Hollywood, 
Ray Harryhausen was an animator, and he used to produce all the monster movies. You know, the stop yeah. go animation and the plasticine dinosaurs. Yes, and I have an image of my brain. Yeah. yeah. Well, Ray Harryhausen used to do probably 90% of those. Mm. And he was a great friend of Ray Bradbury, who is a was unfortunately tagged as a science fiction writer, but right. isn't. He no. writes about people, or mm. he wrote about people. He died not that long ago, mm. uh, in his 90s. And he wrote about people, but he wrote about people in unusual situations, maybe mm. in the future or on somewhere else, a different planet or whatever. But it was always about people. Mm. So you could class it as science fiction. And in actual fact, classing it as science fiction limited his audience. Right. Because the guy could write. He mm. really could write. Yeah, and he wrote script for... Uh, Moby Dick. Uh, for Moby Dick. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And he, being a writer myself... He, right. I understand what he was looking for. Mm. I'm I'm at the point of almost completing the writing of a novel. Then then there's the editing. Yeah. And you're looking. I'm I'm looking at the moment for the end of a thread for this for this link that mm. will take me to the last chapter of mm. this of this book. I know what's going to happen. I know who's in there. I know yes. the characters intimately. I'm just looking for the catalyst. Yeah. The thing that actually makes it all work. Yeah. And Ray Bradbury always said that the thing that made Moby Dick work for him, he spent ages looking around the story, reading the book, and mm. you know, looking at the, the projected um, scenography of the, of the film. And he couldn't find this thing. And then suddenly he got it. There's a point where a, Captain Ahab nails a gold piece to the mast. And right. he said that was it. That anchored mm. the whole film. Yeah. Just this one yeah. single... Act. Mm. And yeah, and, and, and I sort of watch for that now because yeah. it seems to mean a lot to me. I don't know why. Was there something else you'd like to know? Or shall I just keep rambling? Um, <laughs> I do have my, I have my usual list of questions, but because we've been kind of, you know, going back and forth, it's, it's hard to. <laughs> Right, we're now out and about live and inside yes. the cinema itself. We've got this beautiful new bar with its yeah. awful green toilet tiles <laughs> at the back nice. of it. <laughs> Sorry. I think they're very nice. You, you, well, yeah. okay, it's a matter of personal taste. But there's so much lovely woodwork around in here. Uh, it's difficult to argue with the fact that someone spent a lot of money on trying to make this a lot better than, uh, yeah, than, it, than it was, than it's been left. Now... We've just walked down into the auditorium and I find that there are some of the old seats still here, which I hadn't imagined were still here. And these have been put in since the last time I came. There's mm. probably about four complete rows of seats if you add them all together. Yeah. They do look as though they are original. Yeah. Uh, they are original from somewhere. Yeah. And yeah. they look as though maybe they are the original uh, Abbeydale seats. Well, I'm unsure about that because someone's had to prop them up on a little bit of timber at the front. But maybe they are, maybe they aren't. But these are the kind of seats that would have been in. And mm. it, it's a shame because I do know that they were all here, they were all upstairs, and they all got thrown out. Now, the rest of the auditorium is full of green seats, which mm. were given to the cinema by the university. Yes, I've I gather that. from the university lecture theatre. Yeah. They're completely out of keeping mm. with the cinema, unfortunately. <laughs> So we, anyway, we walk down to the bottom where yeah. this is where the usherette used to stand 
whenever there was an intermission or prior to the screening and stand here and survey everyone and it was (laughs) full of little boys buying ice creams Mm -hmm. and usually the cheap ones because I was... (laughs) I always wanted a tub, but my mother wouldn't let me have a tub because they were more expensive. <laughs> or yes. a chock ice either. They, mm. were, they were really expensive. Yeah. I'm looking round it, and I can't understand why someone painted it blue. And, no. Uh, and, and it's just beggar's belief that someone would do this. The plasterwork's seen a lot better days, but it's, mm. it's an incredibly impressive building. Yeah, I think it, uh, it, it remains impressive, even though, as you say, it is a mishmash at the moment, but most people yeah. still come in and they sort of go, wow, and they're really taken aback by it in the first few <coughs> instances. Yeah, well, one of the things is the breadth of the uh, of the balcony. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, you know, it, it even has sort of like the gods boxes yeah. up there, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. it, it's an incredible single-span balcony, and... There are no pillars in this cinema anywhere. There, there's nothing to obstruct your view mm. or anything. I do know that this was built as a theatre in about 1926, was it? Um, yes, 19... Well, the cinema was built in 1920. Um, 1920, yes. sorry, 1920. Um, but right. as my understanding goes, they built it as a theatre, <clears throat> but then kind of briefly had the cinema variety where you could combine films and sort of theatrical act in the middle but then once colour film took over people just predominantly wanted to see colour film and then the cinema variety died out and theatre was never a huge part of the building's kind of past but if we were to go into the fly tower as well you can see the holes in the back of the wall where the uh, theatre stage would have been yeah have a look okay yeah let's let's take a walk through there i do know that the fly tower is absolutely huge in it this is. place because was... it was going to be turned into a climbing wall yep and i heard that um i think the owner of the building at the time because he was a climber himself was yes. apparently tasked with going up and kind of covering the light at the top of this very tall area yeah um, and I just thought that sounded like my worst nightmare. Well you, you can hear the ambience yes. in here I mean it, it's it's amazingly high let's have a look what would it it's somewhere at about 45 feet high yeah of brickwork plus a roof yeah. and these were this is where all the flies would have been for the stage scenery yes yeah, yeah. there's the fire the old fire curtain yeah. up there yeah and the ropes for it it's a fabulous space yeah, they you could almost you could almost hot air balloon in here. Could, it's so could, big. It's cavernous, isn't it? And they've had kind of like gallery events and stuff in the back of here before, I think, because you know, like they use the whole building for for different events. And I gather this was a changing room in the corner somewhere over there. There was a there was a changing room in here for yeah, the theatre people. I'm assuming. I'll, it was I'll take your corner. word for it because I'm actually not sure myself. But yeah, I was told um, that there was. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I can only assume it was in that corner. But, I, yeah. I, I guess all this would have been kind of levelled off because if the stage was back here, then you wouldn't be standing where we're standing now. You would have been standing yes, about that's a metre higher. Yeah. So, yeah, that would make sense. That was the auditorium height there, with those sockets in the wall. Mm. This screen, which is on scaffold now, would have had the ability to be lifted mm. out of the way in order to put a theatre performance on. Mm. In actual fact, I think if, if you could make that happen again, mm. that would be terrific. And you could put... Yeah. theatre on here yeah that would that would just completely uh, double its its usefulness there are, there are plenty of amateur theatre companies mm. in sheffield that would love a space like this and poets and writers too yeah and the, even the old balanced weights on the wall there for raising and lowering them. yes uh, i had a bits and pieces 
a guy that came in was kind of was looking at it and explaining it all to me in much more detail than I'd ever kind of paid attention to it before, yeah. sort of saying how it all worked. Beautiful space. And hopefully it will get used for something more than a storeroom eventually. I'm pretty sure they've had things back here before, so they, they do try and make the most of the building as it is. Well, yes, already. you could actually put an event on here, couldn't yes, you? Yes, I mean, yeah, that, the acoustics, that You have to be careful what you were doing because of the acoustics in mm. here, I suspect. Mm. Anything that resulted in an echo might get a little bit lost. But this is the kind of place or space that you never got to see when you were a kid. No, no. So I, I, I feel quite privileged that... I'm seeing it now. Yeah, I always show people back there just because it's a, it's another way of kind of you know seeing the whole building. <coughs> but yeah, as you say, it isn't you know what what you would have seen on an average kind of afternoon or evening here. Well, I, I didn't often spend time in the balcony here because the balcony was more expensive. Yeah, I've heard that. Than, uh, <laughs> heard that a couple yeah. of times as well. Um, and if you look up, you can see uh, holes in the ceiling where um, scaffolding was put in. I think that was to create a kind of like faux ceiling when it was under a and f drake the furniture yeah. people so the building has taken a, a bit of a battering well, over the years it's difficult to know what to think about a and f drake because they, they battered the building around mm. a little but strangely once their stuff was taken out much of the structure still remained yeah. you know undamaged well well i'm saying undamaged without any major damage mm. there, there were bits that were repairable but yes. They did actually keep the cinema in use. The building was in use. Yes. Uh, it for a long period of time, mm. whereas it wasn't, wasn't before. And had it fallen into complete disrepair, it would probably have been knocked down. Other buildings of a similar era have, have gone that way in Sheffield. Yeah. The Abbeydale is, is... But that's why, you know, people are so keen to see it thrive again because it is such a... Well, the Healy, know, Palace, the Healy Palace is now Ponsford's furniture. Ah, OK. At the side, <laughs> yeah. of, the, uh, side of the Healy Bridge mm. on uh, London Road. Right, I've, I've not seen it. Ah, before. right, yeah, that was, the, that was the Healy Palace. That was another one we used to frequent. Yes. Yeah. That was the one you could walk to from here if you couldn't get in here. Thank you for the opportunity to revisit yeah, one of my childhood haunts again, Catherine. I hope this is going to be of some use to you. I yeah. know we've rambled on a lot, yeah. <laughs> but that's me, and I, I, I ramble and I quite enjoy it. Yeah. So, uh, and as long as you do, it doesn't matter. Anyone that feels that they might have something to contribute should try and find out about our project online. We have some information on the Abbeydale sort of page. So, right, okay. So, yeah. what is the online address for it? Um, if you go to the Abbeydale Picture House website under the building subsection, they have a bit about what we're trying to do. My The email address which is used for the project is abbeydaleoralhistory2018 at gmail.com. So that's how people often get in touch. So, right, okay. Yes. Well, I'll, I'll print that on yeah, the... Yeah, uh, that would be great. <laughs> yeah, so anyone with information about the old Abbeydale? Yeah. Uh, strange, the strange thing is, I've always known this all my life as the Abbeydale Cinema because mm. we used to... We used to say, actually, when we were kids, where, where are we going tonight? Well, let's go to pictures. Yeah. We're, you know, it was always the pictures. Mm. Yet this was always the Abbeydale Cinema yeah. to me. Yeah. And, yeah, and now I come back here all these years later and people in, are insisting that it's the Abbeydale Picture House. Picture House, yeah. I w it was never known to me as uh, the no. Abbeydale Picture House. Um. It was either pictures or we're going to flicks, mm. mm -hmm. right, or, uh, or to cinema. Yes. So... <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, thank you again, Catherine, yep. for the opportunity. Thank you and for coming I in. hope it's helped you, and it certainly helps me. Mm -hmm.
It just makes me realise how much older I'm getting. <laughs> <laughs> if that's a help. I don't know. It makes, makes me value the time I have left, perhaps. Well, that's all for this week's show, folks. I hope you enjoyed your free podcast from Urban Tiger Radio. And if you've hit that subscribe button, you'll be hearing from us again in a week's time. So it's a goodbye from me and a... From Nelly. Goodbye.